we've been uh, in this beautiful story of Esther for several months. Um, it's going to conclude this morning in today's message. We're at the end of the book. Mordecai was just recently saved, this Jewish man, physically from genocide, he and his people, and he was also saved spiritually. And what we're going to see today, the, the big idea is that salvation requires celebration. Would you say those three words with me? Salvation requires celebration. Good, and indeed it does. So if you'll turn to chapter 9, verse 20, we'll be there shortly. You're going to see as we read quite a lengthy text this morning, it may start to feel irrelevant. I promise you it isn't. There's some jewels in here for us. But you're going to see that this feast, this Jewish holiday that's still celebrated today, by the way, called Purim, is an absolute party. If you have Jewish family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, um, you'll know that Jews celebrate a variety of holidays and Purim is one of them. If you've ever wondered where Purim began, you're going to see its inauguration, its inception here in the story of Esther this morning. So, God's people experience salvation. They respond with celebration. I hope you'll do the same. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that as we get in your word this morning that we will see how true it is um, that we ought to celebrate the things that we value. And I pray as the meaning of the word holiday was holy day, that we would reclaim, reclaim holidays as, uh, and in particular spiritual holidays as what they were meant to be for, and that is being mindful of your goodness in our history as the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read a number of verses this morning shortly. Um, basically, they're kind of a summary of the whole book, really, and they include a lot of words on the inauguration of this Jewish feast. This is not, as some would say, a boring ending. I think it's an excitable ending if we see exactly what's going on here, um, that when God saves somebody, they celebrate. And I'll tell you this, church history is as much our story as it is that of the Jewish people. Because if you'll remember in the New Testament, Gentiles or non-Jews were grafted in to the people of God. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot about this. We're equally entitled to our inheritance as spiritual sons and daughters as are the Jews, which is something to celebrate in itself. But church history is your story, it's my story, it's a story of God working through human beings um, in spite of often human beings. Zion Lutheran's celebration, in other words, is our celebration. Community Bible celebration is our celebration. St. Joe's celebration is our celebration. So as we're reading this, we have a great opportunity to reflect on this morning how God has provided in our past, as we did in communion, um, among our spiritual family members, and I think that gives us hope that he'll continue to work in the future on our behalf. I'll tell you um, before we read that um, the church for um, centuries has had, I don't uh, centuries may be a bit long, I think Fanny J. Crosby wrote this in the 20th century, 
Um, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Come thou fount of many blessings. Somebody should Google that. I don't think it's Fanny. I'm not sure. Can't remember. But it's a great hymn. Let's just leave it there. And one of the texts is a little confusing. Here I raise my Ebenezer, because the Ebenezer reference that we know is from Christmas time, the old man, the wiry glasses, um, the Scrooge, right? And that's not the Ebenezer that that song is talking about. What the Israelites would do is when God would do something miraculous and momentous on their behalf, they would stack stones up. And it was for the purpose that when they would travel elsewhere and eventually circle back and travel around, that either they themselves or their children or their grandchildren would see that pile of stones. And they were called Ebenezer stones. And they would remember how good God had been to them, how faithful he had been to them. Now, I don't know about you, but something tells me that humans haven't changed in thousands of years. And that we need to remember how good God is at times. That that actual act of recalling um, something he's done for us before helps us serve him in the now. Um, Another story in the present day, uh, our church bought a barn. This is a couple of years ago, this summer, it'll be two summers ago. We actually bought a barn north of Edgar to harvest beams, hand-hewn wooden beams, about 12 to 16 inches Um, and 30-something feet long, and 30-something of these beams came out of this barn, okay? We bought the barn erect. It was standing. It was intact. Now, I had an exciting idea to buy the barn, but I didn't have a plan on how to get it down. How many of you know you shouldn't buy it if you don't have a plan to get it down, okay? So, foolishly, we kind of said, yeah, we're going to do this. Woohoo! let's go after it. And then after we bought it, all of a sudden, the true thoughts of liability and danger and beams weighing hundreds of thousands of pounds um, toppling on a teenager, you know, had all these thoughts about what could go wrong with this. So I was anxious. Let me tell you, I had a certain time frame to pull this off. I was terrified and, and God, through a number of phone calls, introduced me. I'm so grateful for this. It's such a wonderful memory. To two guys, a father and son named the Schlinsogs out of Granton. Okay? Everybody say it. It's kind of fun to say. Say it with me. Schlinsogs. Good. So these guys came up to Edgar. They were in the business of tearing down barns. And at no cost to us for some of the materials of the barn only, they brought up these huge telehandlers and carefully and safely dismantled this whole thing. We're done by the deadline. And the last piece of this barn that I walked away with was a piece of sheet metal that had been added on years later with some insulation attached to it. And I keep that in my shed two miles west of country air and every time i see it i just pour my heart out and thank god that he delivered me from that whole situation because it wasn't that i wasn't passionate obviously i was very passionate and and it's gonna be cool let me tell you we have 30 some hand-hewn beams if you think about it they were used to build this barn in 1900 ish so when were they a seed? Like two, three hundred years prior to that? Like this wood that we're going to look at in our new building literally had its inception about the time the English settled Jamestown? Isn't that cool? Like these big rock elms that are going to be in our building. So I'm excited about that, but God clearly showed up. So before we read, 
think about the moment where God showed up for you. Maybe not like communion in your salvation story, but think about another time, again, when God just provided. Maybe it was sickness that he healed you from. Maybe it was condemnation. Maybe it was a certain temptation or sin. Capture it. Remember it. I would even encourage you to write it down so that future generations can find it can see it, can understand how God moved in their grandfather's life, in their grandmother's life, in their parents' life. Had a young gal in the first service bring up her Bible, her grandparents' Bible. She moved up here from from Missouri. Is the only thing she really brought with her when she came. And it had a note from her grandfather to her father about how Jesus had saved him. She just showed it to me after the service. Like, that's cool, isn't it? Like, find a way to write this stuff. Do, do like George Strait said, right? Baby, write this down, okay? Take a little note, okay? To remind you of what you didn't know or however it goes. Do that. Write it down. Record it. Verses 20 through 32 of chapter 9. Here we go. You guys ready to read along? Do we have that back there, Roy? Awesome. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, that's Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year. So this is the beginning of, in these verses, the Feast of Purim, okay? It's actually around the month of March, so it's fitting that we're looking at it now, coincidentally. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. Celebration is the result of what? Salvation. That's what this is about. That's why the holiday was inaugurated. Okay? And as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. I just learned this. Did you know that holiday means holy days? Holy days, how far we've drifted when to us they mean drunken days, perverted days, licentious days. Initially, holiday meant holy days, okay? And I don't know about you, but you you can learn a lot by looking and seeing what a family celebrates. You can. If a couple spins big and goes on an anniversary at year 10 or year 20 or 25 of their marriage, it tells me that they value their marriage, that they're, that they're investing in each other and are grateful for, for God bringing them together. Some, some people value sports teams more than, they'll get it more excited at a game in their living room than they will on Easter Sunday, right, in church. Like that says something. The way we celebrate, what we celebrate says something about us. And what I'm going to invite you to do this morning is to celebrate salvation. We need to be all about that. We need to celebrate when God does things in our lives. Verse 23, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor, So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against them to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, lots, to crush and destroy the people of God. 
But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he devised against the Jews be turned on his own head. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring, note that, their children, their grandchildren, and all who joined them, that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, every year, annually. So it's going to be this big festival that happens every year, It's all about the kids. It's all about the grandkids. It's all about passing the story down to the generations. It's not just enough, therefore, that we know Jesus. We ought to be strategically lining up our celebrations so that others know Jesus. They're capturing God's grace in written form. They're recording this stuff. They're journaling this stuff to share it with others. So let's just debunk this myth that our salvation is only personal. Because it's not. We're a part of a story that's been happening for thousands of years. We're a part of the same people, the people of God. We want others to be a part of the people of God. This is so much bigger than just you and I. So would you consider recording God's grace in your life? in some way that somebody else might benefit. Maybe you'd have somebody that just looks up to you. Like maybe you're a a mentor. Maybe you wouldn't even use that word, but somebody else sees you in a favorable light. Have you considered leveraging that influence to tell them about what God's done? Verse 28. And these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. And indeed they did again, because this is still happening, the Feast of Purim today among the Jewish people in every clan, province, and city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. See, God's kingdom, every clan, is quite diverse. You know that heaven's going to have a lot of color in it? It's not going to look like central Wisconsin. Did you know that? Every nation, every clan surrounding the throne with the angels, worshiping the risen king, the only king, Jesus Christ. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail and Mordecai, the Jew, her adoptive father, gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the king. In words of peace and truth, that these days should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices, and it was recorded in writing. Okay. That was a lot. Why is the feast called Purim? We read about it, but now I just want to talk about it for a minute because it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Haman was a pagan man 
a godless man, didn't worship the God of the Bible, but he was a very spiritual man, very spiritual. Did you know that you can be spiritual but not be godly? You can absolutely be. Spiritual isn't always a good thing. In fact, the Bible teaches that Satan, quote, masquerades, wears a mask as an angel of light, and that there are counterfeit wonders, that there are counterfeit miracles, that Satan is a great deceiver, that he will do anything and everything within his power to derail one person's faith in the one and true God, including pretending to be other gods and goddesses. The Bible says there is one true God. That there are no, The Bible does not ascribe to polytheism. Certainly other gods were worshipped, but the Bible declares that God is the only God that every other being is created and inferior to the one who made it all. And so Satan masquerades as, for example, Krishna and Buddha and Allah and even subtle variations of Christianity like the ones professed in the Jehovah's Witness camp and Mormon camp. Satan is being whoever people need him to be in order to lead them astray. Satan wants to lead the whole world astray. It's not enough to be spiritual. And, and so Haman, he's affluent, he's successful, he's powerful. And the Bible tells us that he did a spiritual thing. He cast lots, or this is the, this, the proverbial die. This is what he did. He, he threw down the dice. This was witchcraft. It was sorcery. It was divination it was a ouija board it was a medium it was asking someone in the spiritual realm the realm that is unseen to get involved in the affairs of the physical realm on earth that's what he was trying to accomplish and the dice said all of god's people need to be eliminated they need to be struck down. And so in this amazing reversal, in this amazing reversal, the Jews said, I love this. Why don't we call the feast Purim? Because the casting of the dice was called pure. So why don't we pick at it a little bit? Why don't we joke at it a little bit? Why don't we show that although Satan and mankind seeks to derail God's plan and God's providence, that ultimately it's God who's in control. So let's name our holiday over the attempt of man to get involved with God's plan. And that way, even in its name, we'll always remember that God is in control, that he throws the dice ultimately. And sees how they fall. And so this holiday barred a secular name to establish a permanent and spiritual reminder that God is over Satan, that God is over demons, that God, though men do horrible things, is in the end the one that will win. Amen?
pretty cool. In addition, they give gifts to one another as we do in our holiday season and toward the poor. They're very generous um, toward God's people who are struggling. These are single moms. These are orphans and widows. These are people who are underemployed and unemployed. This is just beautiful generosity that's happening. This has nothing to do with the tithe of the church. This is just helping other people. This means I think that we ought not to neglect and even we ought to pursue, pursue ways to care for other people. I hadn't done this in quite some time, but I went to Vinny's uh, two weeks ago. And let me tell you something. If you're looking for something to jolt your faith, if you're looking for seeds of gratitude to be planted in your heart, just go serve there. Just go hold a ladle and help people who show up at the door ready to eat. Several days of the week, we're involved every other month, I believe, at at the mill. It's just remarkable. It's an incredible reminder that God loves all people. It's It's a faithful reminder that we're to care for the least of these. It's just a great thing to do. You want to jolt your faith? Go to Three Oaks and just ask if you can sit with somebody who doesn't have a lot of visitors and just love on them. Just care for somebody other than yourself. Just do something to get outside of the rut that we get in of of self and of isolation. This is what was happening among the people of God. And it's sad, it's sad that over time, even this beautiful ritual became a routine. Because today, and I should say progressively over the course of thousands of years, Purim has become kind of a curious holiday. It's kind of taken on some of the facets of our Halloween, even. People go to the synagogue, Jews do. They read the story of Esther. Then when they hear Haman's name, they jeer and they hiss and they make all kinds of noise. And it's interactive and it's loud and it's macabre. It's like Mardi Gras in some ways. And instead of looking like the celebration of a redeemed people group and the people of God, it looks like kind of like the parties that Xerxes threw in the story of Esther, where people get rowdy and are excessive. Here's the big idea that I want you to take away. If we're excited about God, we can throw a party whenever we want as pertains to what God has done for us. There are no restrictions. God didn't command that this feast be inaugurated and passed down to the generations. It just was. It was spontaneous. And it started beautifully. A salvation party. A baptism party. You can cook food. You can call people. You can invite them over. Just see that your partying honors God. You ever seen anybody party in a way that dishonors God? Am I the only one in the room that's seen that? That happens, right? Am I the only one in the room that's participated in that? 
that happens, okay? So we need to be careful that we keep the holidays holy. But if you think about it, we've got a lot to celebrate. This is as close to hell as the people of God are ever going to be. Jesus is preparing a home for us in eternity. We don't have to die eternally. The King of Kings is going to be there to talk to us. Like that's something worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. So I don't know about you. Like I don't want to be a miserably religious. I don't want to be that guy. That guy becomes cynical. And start saying, gosh, what's, what's she doing lifting her hands? And why is she so happy? And, and that's odd. Doesn't she know how great of a sinner she is? It's like, yes, she does. That's the whole point. She knows. She knows Jesus is bigger. She knows she's been forgiven. God saved her. What's your point, Pastor? My, my point is that some of us need to learn how to sing. And some of us need to learn how to shout. And some of us need to learn how to smile. And some of us need to learn how to lift our hands in worship. Like when I read in the Bible that God commands the people, all people, lift your hands. I don't read like all people except the Nords and the Swedes and those who like pasties. Like he didn't say that, right? He says all people, that's us. Lift your hands, glorify me. He covets our praises. We need to loosen up. And celebrate him. The Christian faith isn't about a bunch of facts to be memorized. It's about a king who's to be enjoyed. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. King Ahasuerus, who's still the king, by the way, Xerxes, he's still bad, by the way, he's still drunk, he's still perverted, he's still unsaved imposes a tax on the land and on the coastlands and on the sea. Why in the world are people partying when there's just been a tax increase? Because they realize who their real king is. It's not Xerxes. It's Jesus. They have the same king, but then again, they have a new king. This one has a little K. This one has a, a big K. They realize that earth isn't their home, that heaven is their home, that, that kings can rule over nations, but God rules over both kings and nations. So they're happy. Last few verses. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? In other words, they're just saying Mordecai rose to heights that we don't even have the time to get into here. So we're going to refer you to this other book that you can read to learn more about Mordecai. That book is not in the Bible, 
but I'm sure is a helpful resource. For Mordecai, the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. And that brings us to the end of the book of Esther. Three verses in chapter 10. How many of you think we should celebrate being at the end of the book of Esther? Yeah! Woo! Here's a final thought I want to leave you with. Do you realize that the end of human history, can I just grab your attention quick this morning? This is a profound truth. The end of human history is going to look just like the end of the book of Esther. That God wins. That people are saved. That because they were saved, people rejoice. And I'll even take it this far, frankly, until then, we're in the middle of the story of Esther. Death reigns. There's bad guys that when people are drunk and perverted and money is misspent and armies march off to war. When you think about it, we're in the middle of the movie right now. But here's what I want to encourage you with. No matter how despairing life is, don't throw your popcorn down and, and leave the film. Don't walk out. Don't give up on Jesus because the movie gets better at the end. The end is moving. The end is where it all comes together. Stay in your seat because our sin will be no more. And our suffering will be no more. And the Prince of Peace will come again. And the, the unchanged enemies of God will be destroyed. And we're going to celebrate. And it's going to be in a feast that's far more magnificent than Purim. The Bible says that it'll be the best wine ever. I imagine there will be lots of protein. It's going to be fabulous. And so hang in there. The angels will be there. The nations will be there. And we'll sing the praises of the Lamb. Life is terrifying. It is. There will be no more 50 mile per hour snowstorms in heaven. It's going to be awesome. And in the end, God wins. And in the end, people rejoice. So what I'm saying is, if that's our reality, can't we just start now? Can't we just like lighten up now and celebrate the goodness of God now and quit taking ourselves so seriously now and be delighted by the truth of our salvation now? And enjoy Jesus now and let him bear our burdens now and quit carrying our sorrows and waiting in this muck 
and fighting storms with a 30 horsepower tractor now and just love him and treasure him and adore him. He's worth it. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you're good, you're kind, you're faithful, you're present, you're not indifferent, you're not distant, you're not uncaring. You love us, you've saved us. Lord, let us write it down. Let us take note. Let us find a material object, some kind of reminder, and let's celebrate your goodness for generations to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.